I feel like we're kind of on a trend with Are with we? this week and last week of talking about things that came out in 2016 that were very good. Okay, you're right. I mean, last week we talked about the best anime of 2016. Why don't we talk about one of the best games of 2016 this week on the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA? Let's do it. Episode number 20. Hello. I'm Jared, joined as always by the queen of passive aggressiveness. <laughs> Are you really going to call me that on this podcast right now? You said it literally 30, like 20 minutes ago or 10 minutes ago. I know I did. I know it did, but they don't have to know that I'm passive aggressive. That, no, yeah, totally not. Okay, to be fair, like <laughs> any, anybody who knows me and listens to this, like, yeah, okay, I get it. She's she's totally that. And the best co host of the podcast. I tried to say podcast <gasps> and co host at the same time and came out like po host. Po host. That's Ann Ladium. Hi, it's me. And thank we're going to. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Well, no, you're you're your thank yous in there. I'm just saying thank you because you call me the best podcast co-host. That's really nice. <laughs> you're the best. You're the best podcast. <laughs> I am the best podcast. <laughs> Anyways, uh, today we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite games of 2016, and I think a game you said was the best game of 2016 last year. Yes. We're going to talk about Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp Fe. Finally, we've been talking about how we want to talk about this. So many times we've brought it up repeatedly on this podcast. This is the episode. The episode. We literally talked about it last week. How we're like, yeah, we want to talk about this. And it was like, I was looking up uh, the release because I was like, I remember this coming out at the end of June. But when did it come out? So if you're listening to this on day release, which will be Saturday, obviously, uh, this past Thursday will be the one year anniversary of this game's North American release. It graced us with its presence, and I am forever thankful. It did. Uh, I said this was the number four game of 2016 last year. It was my favorite. Which, I mean, like, the three games ahead of it are, like, still, like, are very, very good. And, and like, even at number four, Token Mirage Sessions is fantastic. And I think I say in my little blurb, like, it's the best JRPG of last year. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. no competition whatsoever. It is number one. Number one, critically, number one in our hearts. It's true. So, this game has a weird history. Yeah, that's an understatement. I guess if people aren't aware, like, this was the game that Nintendo initially unveiled at E3 2013? Yes. Or, I guess not at E3, it was just a Nintendo Direct. They unveiled it in, like, early 2013. Where they're like, hey, guys, we're making a new game. It's called Shin Megami Tensei Crossfire Emblem. And everyone's like, what? 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 What does that even entail? Like, those are two <laughs> completely different games. Like, one's a strategy RPG. One's a notoriously tough JRPG. Like, how do you cross those, really? And I guess a lot of people were kind of, like, thinking, like, oh, this is going to be, like, a, a strategy RPG set in Tokyo that features characters from both series. Like I think the the initial teaser like showed off, let's see here, fifteen different Fire Emblem characters and then nine characters from a variety of Shimagami Tensei games from one through four and then if as well. So it was like a wide variety of characters like, oh, 
it's just going to span the gambit of all the characters from either of these series. That didn't happen. No, no. I remember people were like thinking it was going to be some form of like a mashup, kind of like Smash Brothers, but like RPG style. So like that initial teaser happened and then you yep. never saw anything from it for another for literally two years. Yeah, nothing. And people were constantly asking, like, where is this game? I think basically like by the time they unveiled the like the actual trailer for it, like people were like, Oh, that game got cancelled. Like yeah. it's gone. Because like they people didn't show it. Was they didn't show it at E three in twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. And then <laughs> it's real dumb. On April first, twenty fifteen. <laughs> The Nintendo unveiled the first trailer of it on a Nintendo Direct, which showcased the game's actual look, looking more like Tokyo Mirage Sessions as we know now. Which, boy, people were not excited about that, nope. given what they had heard already before. It was like, oh, it's a, it's an RPG idol game? Question <laughs> mark. But, but. I am so infinitely glad like this game is the way it is because man I probably would not have liked like a strategy RPG cross like Shimagami Tensei Crossfire and Love game mostly just because like I'm bad at strategy RPGs so no but I agree with you I I feel like it would not have been nearly as fun as the game that we got um Mm. I probably would have played it but I wouldn't have had nearly as much fun with it and I probably wouldn't have like listed it so high on my list of like games of last year and I constantly think of this game very very fondly i have the soundtrack on my phone i listen to it a lot like this game did a lot for me and i don't feel like it would have had that lasting impact if it had stayed what it was nor like i don't think like we would have that much affinity for the characters in the game either no which like i don't really have that much affinity for a lot of like the mainline shimagami tensei characters like maybe outside of four which is like the one i've played Mm -hmm. and obviously i obviously like the fire Emblem characters i really don't either so, and I have more of that than you do, because yeah. I have played Fire Emblem games. But still, like, meh. But instead, we get this cool, weird, stylish, poppy JRPG, colorful, colorful JRPG that like no one expected to be good, but then was really good. I'm going to here's how I like in my review last year. This is the way I described this game. It is more of a mashup between Atlas's other big franchise, Persona, any Maho Shoujo or Magical Girl series like Sailor Moon, and a J-pop idol series a Love Live School Idol Project. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I could definitely see that. It, it has a lot more of a Persona influence to me than it did, like, mainline Shimagami Tensei games. Right, yeah. Like, I think, like, the most, most of, like, the SMT stuff is, like, the battle mechanics... Uh, all of the skills are pretty much interchangeable from the SMT and and also Persona games as well. Mm-hmm. So like it plays more like those games, and like there's obviously like little references here and there as there is with the, you know Fire Emblem stuff. But at the same time, it also doesn't play like any of the like any SMT or basically Persona game either. Like the combat is way less like tough and difficult and hard on you per se. Like it's mm-hmm. less for, less unforgiving than like an SMT game is. And maybe even more than like a Persona game is because Personas are a little bit more easier than the SMT series is. But it's also a lot like faster combat than any of those two franchises are. Oh, I agree. Especially because of the um, the sessions that um, 
that really, really speeds it up because you can have people just pop in, pop in, pop in, pop in, pop in, pop in. It's wonderful. So like, yeah, just like comboing attacks all the time, like having the ability to interchange party members at a whim. Oh, at, I love that. And like, it, it is kind of a bummer maybe per se that like you only get a three person party in battle, but having that ability to just be like, oh, well, this person has the, doesn't have the skill I need. I'm just going to swap them out immediately get this other person in, bam, 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 combo, an attack, and then you're done. It's super easy. Like, And being able to like uh, level your characters interchangeably, like the level even if they're not in the party, all that stuff is like, it's just fantastic. It's fantastic design. And, you know, we talked about it when we were talking about Persona 5, how like that game kind of took that idea, but I don't think did it as well as Tokyo Mirage Sessions did. Because like no. you, ha- you had to basically unlock that skill and then unlock a better version of it when you S-Strang to Fumi, which was basically like, oh, you can interchange at any time, basically. But this is just like, oh, well, you have that ability right at the start or like right as you- when you get like four party members and then you can just yep. do it whenever. And you don't have to like do like, oh, you need to do a side quest for it. It's like, no, you get it. And it makes the combat so good. It makes it so, so good. I mean, it flows amazingly, mm-hmm. but it's also, it makes it really fun to look at. Yeah. Um, I mean, combat isn't always really fun to, like, visually when you're playing RPGs, but this one just nails it. Um, because there's always something happening on the screen in the in the sessions, and especially, like, once you eventually get the sessions where, like, they actually pull out their idol skills. Yeah. And they'll straight up start singing in the middle of, like, combat. It's so cool. And it's, like, it makes even, like, grinding less of, like, an intrusive thing. Like, it never felt, like, terrible just to go out and be like, oh, I'm going to go get some more levels. Like, I always, like, had a good time playing the game. Which is, like, you don't really get to say that that much about JRPGs, I think. Except for, like, a very slim few. I agree. In terms of battle mechanics, I mean, but. Right, right, right. Uh, no, and I think that's one thing that this game really excelled at is that it had a fun combat system. And I never was like, wow, okay, I'm really tired of fighting. Um, I did get lost a few times, but that's beside the point. That's not combat. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I I was fine whenever I got into a fight. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do this. And, you know, I had all my fancy outfits and I was ready to go. And then, like, at the, by the time you get to, like, the late game, it's like, oh... I'm going to chain this, like, 20 to 30 hit combo Mm -hmm. and just obliterate everything. Like, that is so satisfying. It's super satisfying. I mean, seeing that number rack up in the corner, oh, it's beautiful. It's like a gaming orgasm right there. (laughs) Though, like, I think it does get a bit broken when you play it on New Game Plus because, like, you know, if you're playing, like, a JRPG with New Game Plus, like, what do you expect to get carried over? Um, maybe money, items, some of them carry over equipment, but not all of them. Um, if there's any kind of like bonus thing, like if there's outfits, I would expect that to co- uh, like move over. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's about it. Unless you're like, um, Xenoblade Chronicles, in which case you're like, well, you get to start the game at level 99. This game is Xenoblade Chronicles in that aspect. Is it? Oh yeah. my god. You carry your level over as well. So like oh. I, I dabbled with New Game Plus a bit and it was basically like, 
oh, I'm level 70 now going against the first boss. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's Let great. me just one hit this. Boop, dead. <laughs> it was, like, I get, like, that would definitely make that game a lot easier. But, like, it was just, like, something real funny just to be like, oh, I have the save level I stopped, I finished the game with. Huh. Wasn't expecting that at all. But it's so the, cool. the weapons there? Like yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, like, all, like, your weapons. Skills? I think, I think skills and all that stuff. You may have to, like, re-level all that stuff, but it's, like, it'll go by super quickly, I think. Right, because you're level 70-something. Yeah, but, like, yeah, it's pretty much, like, you're going to plow through pretty much everything in that game again. Which, like, if you're playing New Game Plus, part of that is probably going to be, like, yeah, I've seen all this stuff. I don't need to, like, spend 30, like, another 40 hours replaying the game. Like, I can just speed through it. That's, like, why, like, I like playing uh, the version of Persona 4 that I have where it's, like, I play it on, like, the easiest difficulty and I have, like, a level 99 Persona that just obliterates, obliterates everything. Yeah. So I can just speed through that game. You do it with Persona 3 Portable, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. I like that, though. I don't mind that at all. Because sometimes I just want to play the game and enjoy the story and not have to worry about anything. And when you can go in there with, like, God mode characters and like, all right, this is fine. Yeah. One <laughs> thing, though, that like might hinder that is another aspect of this game we should probably talk about dungeon design. Ah, I already mentioned that I got lost. Yeah. So the dungeons in this, I think, were a little bit, I guess, not what I was expecting. The idolospheres, idolospheres, whatever you want to call them. Essentially, essentially, they were more like, they were very. They're straightforward, like, puzzles you would see in, like, you know, the, like, Persona 3 or 4 or Shin Megami Tensei game. But they had all these, like, little elements of puzzle mechanics in them. Yep. And some of them were kind of, like, were harder than you would expect, per se. Or just janky. Yeah, yeah, I could see janky as well, like. I didn't like the dress ones in that first one. I yeah. got so stuck on the dresses. And I felt dumb. That one in particularly was, like, a kind of rough, like, introduction to how the dungeons were going to be in that game. Just because, like, oh, you have these dresses that you can independently move each arm, like, in between three different stories. Mm -hmm. And that's how you have to get across and figure out how to get to where you need to go, which is the rooftop, basically. And in some parts of that, it's like, I'm doing the same thing over and over and just not getting any results. So, like, what am I doing here? Right. It was really frustrating. But... Um, I like that the level design had some form of, like, interactivity with the dungeon, but that one didn't. Like you said, it was a bad introduction to that interactivity because the dresses were just really, really weird. And, like, you would press one button and, like, one arm would go up and you're like, well, I don't know how to get to that arm now. Okay. <laughs> I don't necessarily think, like, that the later dungeons, per se, like, I know we're, I've already, we were probably going to compare this a lot, but, like, compared to, like, Persona 5, I don't think, like, the, the later dungeons were necessarily as drawn out as Persona 5 was. No, I don't think so. But they all, like, still had, like, these, like, the, the puzzle mechanics were implemented in each dungeon going forward. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, like, necessarily the, the puzzles in the subsequent dungeons were necessarily as kind of impactful or in a in a way like oh this is this is kind of harder than i was expecting than that first one was so you kind of like un you kind of expected it going forward right 
Um, cause the only other one that I'm thinking of off the top of my head is in the final dungeon when you have like the blocks that move like on mm-hmm. the yeah. like little laser light thing. Um, I remember that, like, I remember that puzzle specifically, but I don't remember having a huge, like, terrible time with it like I did with the dresses. No, yeah. I think the only one I kind of had problems with was the TV station one. The first time through, just because I, I didn't understand, like, what it wanted me to do. So I just, like, brute forced my way through it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, eventually, I think the second time through, I was like, oh, these all... The 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 mat the 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 area head has all these doors. They correspond with the TV screens. That's how you got to do it. Yep, yep. Um, Use but your I did like that there were there were some puzzles, and so it wasn't just like a dungeon crawler type game. Like you weren't having randomized floors, and like you had a substantive like map and everything that shows you where you're supposed to go, where you're supposed to be. Uh, even if you do get really horribly lost, like I did. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I remember but, you like texting me, like like in, when you were in that like stuck state. It was like, how do I do these? I was so stuck and so frustrated, and I didn't know what to do. And like none of the guides up were in English. Yeah, because we were playing this on release day, so like nothing yeah. was like there's no guides up or anything. It's not like you you gotta do it yourself. <laughs> So I was super stuck, and I was really, really upset. And I just remember I was texting, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Speaking of texting. Okay. <gasps> One of my favorite aspects of this game. <laughs> I like how it took you a second to, like, to connect the dots there. Yeah. So this game is, like, you know, we, we compared it to Persona earlier, but, like, there's there's very much, like, a social aspect to the the characters in the story as well, because being a Wii U game... You have the you have the second screen. The tablet. The tablet. And I think this game does like an excellent job of utilizing that second screen and that like the Wii U tablet is basically your phone. Yeah, it's probably the best use of the Wii U tablet that I've seen mm-hmm. because like you said, it's the phone. Um and it's really, really well done because you you get these text messages from your your party members and your co-workers are they co-workers i guess like your boss yeah, they're co-workers yeah so um, you, you work for you work for that agency so that's true even though you don't do anything um, <laughs> <laughs> he is like the ultimate hype man that is his job yeah itsuki has no talent um his talent is going into dungeons and beating stuff up no. entertainment wise nothing yeah i mean like i said he's the hype man that's pretty much what he does is he gets people ready to do their jobs that they're good at that he is not good at i know we're gonna talk about like the texting mechanic but like i love how itsuki is basically like he's not necessarily like you know the chosen one he kind of is because like you know he has like the battle skills and everything but outside of that he's just basically like he's the guy he's very average but he's the guy who's basically like i'm gonna help you guys out if you need anything don't worry yeah, he, he's, he's such like, a good pal. He's basically he basically just becomes like the gopher of the fortunate agency. But like mm-hmm. I kind of like how like the main character is like not just like this not that he like he would be like, oh, he's good at the battles, but also like he's this fantastic like singer and dancer and actor and all that stuff. He's like he's really like really talented, he can do everything. He just helps his friends who are all that very much talented and helps them get through like their troubles and everything. 
And he like practices with him even though he's not good at it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it shows that he has flaws as well. Like he's not perfect. Yeah. And I think that's just, it's such a good thing that this game has. And I think um, getting back to the texting sort of. Uh, you see the relationship between these characters build up throughout the game, um, whether it's through like the story or the side stories or the texting, whatever. Like, you see how they become very attached, or just their relationship grows with him if they already were attached to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it works really well, um, and each character has a very very distinct personality, and I love that they actually put them with like different stickers yeah like they basically kind of make it like line and so like they have like their own individual sticker sets it's very very good it's so good because like you you get that personality from them because they're using the their little stickers like you have the um shoot i'm blanking on the name um when toma is texting you he has like the little like the sentai stickers yeah the sentai stickers which makes sense because that's what he does. He's an yeah. actor. That's what he's looking to do is he wants to be like a Sentai character. So um, I love that that's what you get. And like Tiki has her own like Tiki stickers, which makes sense because she's a Vocaloid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be weird if a Vocaloid didn't have their own stickers. <laughs> I think as well like this game does like with a, the, the way it introduces the texting mechanic is like very early on in the game and then mm-hmm. like there are messages you can go back and read from like basically before the game had started right and it gives you like the best introduction to Subasa. oh it does because basically it's like i think it's you toma and Subasa are in like this group chat and like you're talking about homework and he's like oh yeah did you do math this or for tomorrow and then Subasa's like ah <laughs> and the the Itsuki's like Subasa, and she's like Ah, <laughs> that's all she texts is a straight capital A's. It's so good. Like I said, it feels very real, and yeah. it gives these characters a lot of depth. And um, in comparison to Persona Five, it felt a lot more natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't feel like it was a scripted conversation as much as it did in Persona Five. Uh, maybe because it did take the characters like a second, the characters a second to like respond back to you when you said something. Yeah, it's not like you're hitting X and like oh, instantly here's the next message. Right, and that was an issue I had with Persona Five is it just felt really scripted because like you'd choose your answer and then like they'd immediately respond to you. And with Tokyo Mirage Sessions, it takes a second for them to respond, and um, they they really really treat it like an actual texting system. I think as well, it kind of helps that like Itsuki has his own character. He's not just yeah. like a a brainless, uh, an empty shell. An empty shell that's the projection of the player per se. Correct. Like he, he has is his character. He, yeah, he has his own character. He has his own wants and desires and everything like that. So like I think that really helps like all the other characters be able to bounce off of him and makes that more natural than per se like, than like Persona is where you, it's like you have to choose all these answers and they're kind of basically meaningless in the long run per se. Right, and it's interesting because you do have choices um, in this game of what Itsuki can say, but it doesn't feel as, like, empty, I guess. Yeah. And the characters do respond different ways like they do in Persona. Um, Like, uh, the one that I'm thinking of is when um, you meet Tiki and you have the, um, like, exchange about Oni-chan, like, calling... 
calling you brother and all that, mm-hmm. big brother. And you can respond and say, like, that's weird. Don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, offended. <laughs> what a weird thing that this game is like. I, I, I get, like, the uh, they have the pop aesthetic and everything like that, but, like, <laughs> how do we incorporate, like, modern-day pop music into this game from Japan? Let's just make Tiki a Vocaloid. <laughs> <laughs> it's genius, though. Like, yeah. you would think it would work, but it works perfect. Oh, and man. uh like you have the entire side quest of like tiki is my waifu Ugh. and i was expecting it to just be like disgusting. Yeah. i was so expecting it to be disgusting it's like oh it's just like it's this girl who who creates like vocaloid songs through the tiki software yep that's it she just thankfully really... <laughs> yeah thankfully i was expecting it to be something really 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 creepy so we talk about side stories since we just kind of went that way yeah, why not? We're basically just kind of going all over the place with this game, which is kind are, of fun. Are we? I'm sorry. No, no, no. Like that's totally fine. Like, I don't know. I think we're making a natural progression here. The side stories, though, like, are legitimately like some of the best parts of this game because oh, you. I 100 agree. You get to see all these characters have like very human mo- human moments in the game, and the game also like it tackles subjects that you don't expect to see it tackle at all. No, because I mean. I've mentioned earlier, it's colorful, there's the idols, it's lighthearted, it's J-poppy. Like, you don't expect it to tackle these kinds of topics. And then when it does, you're like, oh, I like this. This is good. Like, obviously, I think one of the ones that we've, we've, I think we may have talked about this before or something, but uh, one of Subasa's side stories is, like, she has social anxiety. Yes. And, like, I mean, obviously, it's not, like, the most perfect way to to go about this where it's like oh throw her out there in the crowd she'll cure herself but like it wasn't something i was legitimately thinking like this game was going to tackle at all given the way like you know obviously the idol industry is kind of controversial in the way like it kind of just like is a machine and like spits out these girls every now and then to like kind of be these generic pop idol stars and it has some bad ramifications here and there that's why i worry about baby metal all the time yeah (laughs) So, like, I, I never would have expected, like, oh, here's a character that, like, oh, she's like, hey, I have social anxiety. Like, is, what do you think is a way to help me get through this? Right. And that'd be, like, her side story. It's an entire side quest. Or, like, um, Kira has the the issue of her image is built in such a way that she's afraid to be herself. Mm-hmm. And she likes cute stuff at times, and she feels like she's not allowed to do that because her, her image is kind of, like, tough. Yeah. And so I know that this one's not as serious as social anxiety, but at the same time, like it's a it's a character that is being told that she can't be who she is. She can't like what she wants to like. And through the side quest, she realizes like I can be both. I can be this tough girl, but I can also like cute stuff and I can dance around in little cute poof pants. And um, also dress up as, like, a cat? Was it a cat? Yeah, a cat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I really, really enjoyed that. And you had characters like... Um, crap. I always called him something that I can't say on air. <laughs> the um, D word. Yashihiro. Yes. Yashihiro, there we go. 
Um, Yashihiro has a lot of problems because his dad um, went missing and uh, in the big event that basically was the catalyst of all the events of this game. And so he's got this like huge dad issue throughout the game, but he's also kind of a butt. They basically introduce him as like they you think he's going to be like a villain because like did. he's he's such a a jerk to you throughout like half of the game, and then you meet him and like get to know him. And he's like, this guy's just a weirdo. Yeah, and he's kind of a dork. Yeah. Um, and I love that he eventually gets to interact with some of the other characters. Like his microwaving outfit is like my favorite thing in the entire <laughs> yes. universe. Um, but he does. He ends up. You know, I guess power of friendship and all, but he ends up becoming close with the the other characters and kind of deals with his problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, not until like in it's, game, yeah, it's later but... in the game because he's like the last party member you pick up. There's also I think like Toma has to deal with kind of like trying to figure out like he obviously we talked about he wants to be a Sentai actor, mm-hmm. but he also doesn't really understand like how to be a hero and all that sort of stuff. And his side story kind of deals with that. I think he also has a lot of like self-worth issues. Yeah, yeah, that too. Um and there's the the little kid that he's trying to mm-hmm. mentor throughout his side quest. Although he does fulfill like the dude bro best friend role yeah. cuz like there's the part where you have to like go pick up girls. <laughs> cuz of course you'd have to do <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. And then and then like Ellie's side story is basically like, "Oh, here's this uh half Japanese, half I think she's like European or something like that I nature." Think she's- She's European of some sort, but I don't remember yeah. what she is. But she's white. Yeah, and, and, like, essentially, she's like, she she kind of tells you, like, in her first, like, side stories, like, you know, I have these people who, like, look at me real funny because I'm not fully Japanese, and I'm, like, a, I'm breaking out into this industry. And also, I have these other people who try to put me on this weird pedestal and think of me, like, as a freak show because mm-hmm. of my heritage. Like, it's these different things that, like, you don't expect a game of this nature to even attempt to tackle, but, like, it totally does. I think the one thing that it really dropped the ball on, though, was the relationship with Barry and um, yeah. and Mamori. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, because Mamori's actually a really cool character. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like twelve or thirteen. She's a kid, and um, she has this like microwaving cooking show, which is like the cutest thing in the world. That they are like, hey, you can't actually cook things, so here, put it in a microwave. Yeah. It's like um, I think outside of like maybe uh, Kiria and Yasuhiro, like she's the most experienced of like in the entertainment industry out of all of them. Oh yeah, but what she really wants to do is sing. Yeah, and um, I think that that's a really cool story. But then they have the like side element of Barry being like obsessed with her and. For clarification, Barry is also like ha- he's full white, isn't he? Uh, I, think, I think he's just a white guy. I mean, his name's Barry. He might be a white guy. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember for like per se if they tell you, but basically, he's like this retired like metal musician. He is who, who comes either back to Japan or to Japan and just like becomes a dance instructor. Because <laughs> yep. sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> But and then, like, weirdly, very... I was going to say, like, he weirdly becomes, like, obsessed with, like, you know, he he, he becomes, like, the otaku character, essentially. He, he is the otaku character, because he has the obsession with, like, the, the witch anime. Yeah, he, like, wears the shirt of in every single, like, time you see him. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a, a bit where he's like, oh, you have to go get this item for me that has to do with this anime. And 
so he has a problem. And his other problem is that he is like the number one fan club member of Mamori and is like obsessed with her. And it's mm-hmm. creepy because he's like in his 30s and she's like 13. Yep. It's a uh, it's gross. It, it shouldn't is. happen. And then like one of her side quests has him like dressed up as a dog following her around. I'm like, oh, that's like that's a that's a song they make. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's. it's weird like i literally wanted to be a little um Pro- that's, then, it's, oh, it's, i was just gonna say like that's probably like one of like the the biggest like negatives you could say about this game is like that's that part right there i agree and that character yes barry is the worst part of this game period full stop the end um the boss character i actually was surprised she um she was handled in a way that I wasn't really expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that she was drunk like 90% of the time. But, <laughs> it's true. Um, her name was Maiko? Maiko? Maiko, yeah. Maiko. Um, my Japanese is not as good as your Japanese. Uh, this isn't really was, that much. <laughs> <laughs> she was a former model and now is like the head of the uh, Fortu- Fortuna Entertainment uh what what is it is it an uh, agency yeah it's like a it's a the, the full title is fortune entertainment but it's basically just like a an agency like she's like I mean, the agent for what, at the front it's it's a front because yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's all about the mirages but yeah essentially they're like, also but, like hey we're also gonna sell all you talented little kids here's this entertainment agency but hey you open the store over here and you go to you go to meet tiki who no one else can see <laughs> Yay! Also, you have Krom, who's heavily bandaged, following you. Yeah, have fun with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, actually, that she she was a really cool character and a character that I didn't expect to like as much as I did. And I know that sounds terrible, but usually in JRPGs, when you have a character who's like drunk and busty and kind of ditzy, like they're not treated well. Right, yeah. Um, and I was surprised that she got as much depth as she did, and I was very happy about it. Um, she was a good character, a very mm-hmm. good character. I mean, like, literally, by the end of the game, like, they, she's able to, like, reacquire her dream of being a model again. Yeah. Like, that's how much, like, they go in-depth into her character. Which, like, like, we, like you were saying, like, you wouldn't expect, like, any other JRPG to kind of, like, go into that direction. She would just be, like, a one-note side character. Right. I mean, most characters like that, unfortunately, are just treated as fan service. And she was not just that. And I appreciate that. She did have elements of it, but mm-hmm. she wasn't just that character. And I, I liked that quite a bit. I was very, very pleased. Uh, I guess other characters, you know, they're the Fire Emblem Mirages that you get. Um, Krom in and of itself, it, like, he's a full on character. Yeah. That's how they. Oh. That's how they basically integrate the Fire Emblem stuff is like uh, all like the mirages, which are essentially you could, yeah, they're basically personas like the boss characters and like all that sort of stuff that you fight in dungeons and everything like that's all the Fire Emblem characters that you meet and have like, you know, that's the crossover mechanic that they have. So you have a mix of characters. You have a few of them from Awakening and then a few of them you said are from the the first game. 
the first game because I know it as the remake, but yeah. it's the first game. Um, and they all have really, really fascinating design choices. Um, yeah. They look enough like their Fire Emblem characters that you can identify them, but they have a big twist on them in, in terms of design. And I like that. Like I said, Krom is kind of like bandaged and uh, not not the pretty boy. Almost looks like demonic in like some parts. He does. Like, like I think Tiggy's the only one that kind of looks looks halfway like her original character design. But everyone else is like, they just went like kind of in a completely different direction than what you would expect. Yeah, I'd say Tharja is pretty close, but she still has like something on her face that that covers it. Yeah. Um, but Tiki is the only one that you're like, oh, that's straight up Tiki. I get it. Okay. Um, I, I thought that was a, a cool take because. You're kind of expecting when you hear that like Fire Emblem characters are in there, you're expecting them to kind of like implant them as they would be mm-hmm. um, in the Fire Emblem games, and they're not like that. No. But you do have the story of them. Yeah. So basically, like, I think like they they're all like mirages in this. That's like what they call them. And like the the big hook for them is like they've all had like their memory erased, and are trying to figure out like what is happening. Why are they? Why are they? in modern day Tokyo and all this sort of stuff. And then you basically kind of find all that stuff out at the end of the game and everything. But it gives like an interesting little twist and not just like, Oh, we just shoe- shoehorned all these fire emblem characters in this game for no reason. Right. I guess like the other thing that they kind of hook in fire emblem wise is like, uh, the level up design. All of that is basically out of like the modern day fire emblem games. Oh yeah, totally. And then like, you also can like reclass and like change your mastery and all that sort of stuff like the fire emblem games as well you can um so you you it's the same kind of style and that you um have I, I don't remember if they use the seals in tokyo mara sessions but I it's they it's, just like the master seal or something like that the that's master like the, seal and you can change yeah. your class so like that's like the the kind of fire emblem stuff <laughs> that you uh that you get in this game because a lot of it isn't really even though like you know it has the fe in the title and everything like there's not a lot of like you know things that you would look at this game and be like oh that reminds me of fire emblem right no, outside of like the characters you see yeah the level up in the characters um and the story yeah because like the at least the latter like portion of the end game is basically kind of a retelling or a reimagining, I guess you could say, of the first Fire Emblem game. Uh, Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light, or Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon here, as it's known, with the, the DS remake. Mm-hmm. Which is essentially like, hey, Marth is a cool dude. You remember Marth? He's that Fire Emblem guy. He's he got, wasn't just in Smash Brothers. <laughs> he wasn't just in Smash Brothers. He's got to take out this dragon thing. That's that's the that's the the very basic story of the first Fire Emblem game, and then basically by the end of this game, you're like, oh, you got a you're learning the tale of Marth, and like what he did originally, and then basically you kind of reenact that as like Itsuki kind of be he kind of becomes Marth becomes Marth at yeah, the end of the game. They, they do the opera. Yeah, man, man, man. Uh, so I think this would be a good time to talk about how phenomenal this soundtrack is. <sighs> So, like, there are two parts of the soundtrack. Like, one is, like, the original OST, which has, like, all the battle music and all that stuff. Which, all that stuff is real good. Don't get me wrong. Like, there is some very good tracks in this game 
that like you know boss battle music and just battle music and ambient music as well but you know as we talked about how this is like a pop idol jrpg type game like there is original music in the game that like the characters perform themselves because like obviously you know a few of them are singers so they got to have their own songs and man that's so good it's real real good oh my god like if you want like real catchy j-pop like this is the game for you yeah. no joke like it's man each i think each pretty much each character has like their has one song to themselves and like there's a few crossover jams as well mm-hmm. uh usually the crossovers are with subasa yeah, because basically she's the character that they kind of try and are trying to push in the game specifically. Yeah. But, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't hinder it at all like that. Oh, oh, all these crossover songs are with her, and it's like no, they're still very, very, very good. They're all so dang good. Like her her introductory song is good. Uh, Kira's introductory song. Um, was it reincarnation? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was banging. It was so good. Um, although I liked Labyrinth better. Yeah. Um, although my favorite, 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 favorite of the J-poppy ones is um, Give Me. The Kyria Cross Subasa song. Mm-hmm. Um, although Dreamcatcher is also really good, which is Eleonora and Subasa. But... Oh, and Black Rain. Black Rain, I watch every once in a while when I just want to, like... <laughs> that's when you text me and you're like, I'm pretty sure this guy is, like, Edgeworth if he were an idol. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, and he's got, like, those, like, thigh-high boots. Oh, my God. Black Rain is amazing. Um, but the two of us were talking before we even podcasted, like, started this podcast, about one song in particular. It's so good. So and like it's the opera, which is I guess it, that's a song in like Fire Emblem lore. It is because um commercial. Yeah, like Fire Emblem, what the mobile game? Basically, that's the opening theme you get when you when you boot that thing up. So at the end, God, the end of the game sees like the entire cast like having this song and like they're all performing it. And the the credits for the song like when you when you buy the album, it's like. It's Itsuki and the Fortuna All Stars, which yep. Chef's kiss on that one. Yep. God. <laughs> Having that entire cast to sing out Fire Emblem is so good. It's so so good. so good. Oh my god, it's so good. Like, pause pause this podcast right now and just go listen to the uh, the Tokyo Mirage Sessions vocal collection CD, and like, you'll understand where we're getting at because like all these songs are like very catchy. And it's so good. Like, I think kind of like what we were saying earlier with like a bunch of other stuff. Like, this game did not. You wouldn't have expected like all of these, all these like these songs to be as good as they are, but it is, mm-hmm. and they are. I was also really excited, um, and Jared can confirm this is the truth. Um, Throughout when we were playing, I was like, "Oh, I wish Itsuki would like do something. I want him to do yeah. something." And then like the credits roll, and you get this song. I think it's called "Smile, Smile." Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And um, Itsuki starts singing. And I'm like, "Oh!" <laughs> I 
I was so happy. I was so, so happy that he finally got his time to shine. And his, his voice actor, actually, is a really good singer. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where they got his no talent, but he can sing. Only when he's dressed up as Marth. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I doubt he did Smile, Smile as Marth. <laughs> you don't know. It was the credits. I don't, I don't know. It was the credits, <laughs> but I doubt it. Legitimately, like, I don't know if I, like, we've talked about this at all, but, like, before this game came out, I was, like, I was, I wasn't entirely sold on it, per se. But the thing that actually sold me on it was, like, there was, like, YouTube, on YouTube, there was rips of the, uh, the music videos in the game that you get of the songs being performed. Mm-hmm. Which are all very good, and, like, they're all done in, like, you know, in anime video and all that stuff, so it's fantastic in that way. But I watched a few of them, and I was, like, this is very good. Like, these songs are very catchy, like... I think I need to play this game just for these songs. Yeah, it oh man, it's so, so I I like I said I still listen to the soundtrack and I still go and watch these videos because they're really phenomenal. Even like if they weren't associated with this game, they'd just be good. Yeah. Full 100%. Stop. Um I do think that this is a good way to segue into us talking about the whole issue of like censorship. I was because, just about to ask, like, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> um, because people threw a dead gum hissy fit they about did. the so-called censorship of Tokyo Mirage Sessions and were refusing to buy it. And I am of the personal opinion. I will state this as a matter of fact that I believe this. Um, the so-called censorship of Tokyo Mara Sessions made it a better game. Yeah. Um, because some of the outfits they had made no sense story-wise. Um, in particular, Subasa in her, like, introductory song is wearing, like, a cleavage-bearing shirt. And this is a girl with literal social anxiety. She's not gonna go out there and be like, well... I'm an idol now. Let's just hang everything out. Like she's going to be a little <laughs> bit conservative and she's going to be worried about what people think about her because that's how social anxiety works. Right. Um, and Kira's outfit and, uh, reincarnation was just insanely ridiculous. Like it made literally no sense. Um, and it wasn't fun to look at. And I'm actually, I was showing my friend a video of it the other day and I couldn't find the US version and I was really embarrassed to show her. I didn't want her to see that. Because I was like, ugh, this this is really uncomfortable. And um I mean the, the Subasa's fly could be debatable. Um like the wedding dress. I thought yeah. it looked fine. I know a lot of people didn't think it looked fine. They said that it was like too pure and blah 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 uh but the one thing that i've heard a lot of talk about is one dungeon that's supposed to be um i forget the word but it's basically like sexy modeling right um what is that word i keep trying to think of like gravure graver g-r-a-v-u-r-e I mean, legitimately, the only word that was coming to my brain was Goyer, and that's cheese. And it's just because I want cheese really bad. Um, and Goyer is a really good cheese. But um, I 
felt like, again, I'm stating this as my personal facts about this game. I liked the change of them localizing it so it's not specifically just that type of modeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, for one, it still doesn't make sense with Subasa. Two, we've discussed this before. Localization is not necessarily a word-for-word translation of what is happening in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to sit there and say to somebody this G word of modeling... Nobody, except for those who are really, really, really entrenched in Japanese culture in the West, would get that. Um, And it's not a good localization. It's just not. And so, personally for me, and I guess this is also part of the fact that I'm not all about seeing, like, TNA in every single game that I ever play like I'm tired of it and so when I heard what it originally was and like the final scene was like bikini modeling and all that I was super not into that idea and especially because Subasa's outfit at the end of that with like the stars and the tights and all was like the cutest outfit in the entire dang game she looked adorable <laughs> Um, I kept her in that for almost the entire game. But, um, I mean, it just... I've seen so much in terms of complaining about how this game was localized. And I don't understand why. Because to me, it was localized extremely well. Because they, they translated it in a way that it made sense. Even though it's a very, very Japanese game. And literally takes place, like, you know... In Tokyo. Right. Uh, (laughs) And there are a lot of cultural differences that you have to consider that not everybody who lives in the West would understand. And again, I felt way more comfortable playing this game when I didn't have to see someone in a thong dancing around or I didn't have to see uh, an 18-year-old girl, which I know they changed the ages in this one, but... An 18-year-old girl, like, in a bikini to some, like, middle-aged photographer trying to prove herself. Like, that's creepy, and it's wrong. And I don't want to have to experience that. It's really uncomfortable. And it's kind of... It's it's breaching a ground that I'm not interested in going into. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that a lot of people that I personally know were very upset with the changes. And I don't I don't personally get why. I don't understand why those changes are so offensive because I personally felt they worked much better. I mean obviously I doubt they played the game to to understand how those changes would have been better and I think partially as well like the controversy from uh, the localization changes was in part due to the fire emblem localization controversy that happened uh, a little bit earlier. Either yeah. in the, I think in the year, because those Fire Emblem games came out in 2016, right? Yeah. Okay, so they like early in the year, like that blew up for some reason, because people are dumb, and it's just like you know, you get creepos who want to get their rocks off to video games for some reason, and oh no, this game doesn't allow me to do that. I'm going to be mad online about it. I mean, that's real. 
um, that that happens, but it's it's just really frustrating and gross to me. I I, I can't I can't even. And like you were saying, like in the way those characters are, especially Subasa, like she wouldn't be out in like clothes like that. It wouldn't mm. make sense character wise or like story wise at all. It would just be real dumb. Right, and even like if you compare her everyday clothes. And I know that like idols don't dress like what they normally would, but um, if you look at her everyday clothes, she actually dresses pretty conservatively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I don't know. It just bothers me. I don't I don't think I don't feel like it was a bad thing for them to change what they did. No, no, of course not. Like if anything, they made that game better with the changes they did. Oh, I a hundred percent think it made it better. Um, I will definitely, definitely argue that it made it better. I know people were mad that like they cut out the uh, like the Hot Springs DLC as well, which. Oh, I forgot about that. Nah, who cares? Nah, I don't give a. Yeah, <laughs> pretty I much. I didn't mean to say that, but I don't. I really don't care. Um, I. I'm I'm really tired of Hot Springs and video games and yeah. anime. It's such a boring trope. It really is a boring trope, and it's always pervy, and I just, I'm not into that. <sighs> so, uh, I really think that it made it a better game. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Yay. I know we're a minority in that, but... We are, but... Um... We're the rightful minority. <laughs> you want to talk about some fun facts? Fun ab- facts, Let's About Tokyo Mirage Sessions? Did yeah. you know, Did I know? The, the Japanese title, which is uh, Genei... Ibunroku, Ibunroku, if I can pronounce Japanese right, is a is basically derived from Megami Ibunroku, which is the uh, the suffix to like the the offshoot of Shin Megami Tensei games, aka that's the uh, the title that the first Persona has. <gasps> really, mm-hmm. I had no idea. And then all fact. And then obviously, hey, you take TMS and you flip it around as SMT. Yep, I knew that one. <laughs> Like I like that's the one on like both of these Wikipedia pages. Like, hey, did you know this? Like, yeah, it's not that hard <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> well, I didn't know the first one, but I knew that. Yeah, one. yeah. Um, our boy Jack Frost is in this game because they have the Hee Ho Mart, which is just no. a plus. Uh, I guess in- excluding virtual console releases, this is the first uh, mainline or I guess first Megami Tensei-like game on a home Nintendo console since the uh, the repackaging of Shin Megami, or, or not Shin Megami, but Megami Tensei 1 and 2 on the Super Famicom. Wow. Which that came out in 1995, so that's a, that was a long little break between. I was, I was going to say like, oh, if it's a Nintendo console, like Persona Q came out and all those SMT games are on there, but like obviously they weren't on the home console or anything like that. And then they had the cool DLC of like all these like Atlas costumes. Like you get the um, there's the SMT four costume. There's a I think Devil Summoner two costume, and then you can dress Subasa up as Ray from Persona Q, mm-hmm. which is a plus. Isn't that pretty much how you had her like the entire game? Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know all those games basically have like or no I mean uh, all the characters have a lot of like different costumes you can buy in that game, which are all yeah. very cool. Like uh, they're like um, basically like oh here's different costumes they use for like their their music videos or appearances or stuff like that and just some like random stuff here and there as well. 
Yeah, Yashihiro pretty much lived in his microwaving outfit for the rest <laughs> of the As he should have. As he should. Like, that was the only one that didn't make him look like a tool. <laughs> and that's funny because he was, like, in a, like, really tiny apron and chef hat. Did you know? Did I know? The Fire Emblem, like, shield of seals thing is the school crest on their, the party's school uniform. <gasps> no. That's clever. And we, we we talked about this, I think, uh, before we went on air, but uh, this was the second Fire Emblem crossover proposed by Nintendo producer Kaori Ando. She proposed this and also Fire Emblem crossover with Pokemon. <laughs> Which I guess I, I didn't know this part. The idea of the of the Fire Emblem cross Pokemon game was discarded when a different Pokemon crossover game was put into development, Pokemon Cross Nobunaga's Revenge, the Pokemon Conquest game. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What could have been? What could have been? Oh my goodness. I know we've basically talked big about this game, but perhaps like one of the biggest downfalls of this game is that it's a Wii U only game. Yes. And if the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe sales will tell you anything and how that game sold like half a million copies in the first week or so, no, not a lot of people, not nobody, not a lot of people bought Wii U's. I would say both of us had Wii U's. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I mean, if you have a Wii U and you don't, you haven't played this yet, like, what are you doing? Go out right. and buy this game right now. Fix that immediately. I... I wouldn't say, like, hey, go out and buy a Wii U for this game, because I think Wii U's are actually pretty hard to come by nowadays, and they're probably getting jacked up in price due to that uh, rarity. Probably. And this is something we kind of talked about in the E3 episode, but, like, if Nintendo is going to basically kind of start putting out different games from the Wii U's catalog onto the Switch, as they've done with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and with Pocket Tournament DX... This one think, makes so much sense. Yeah. I think the thing that I, uh, I saw in an interview with Reggie, he said that if they do that, they want to basically make it so, like, if you had, like, the original version, you're not just getting shortchanged and buying the same thing again. Like, they want to have, like, extras on the disc as well. Basically, like, kind of like a Game of the Year edition or just, like, all the DLC included, which that's, like, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is. And then Pocket Tournament has, like, new characters that weren't in the Wii U version at all. Yeah, I mean, if they had all the DLC for Tokyo Mirage Sessions and released on the Switch, I mean, honestly, if they released the same game on the Switch, I'd buy it again. Yeah. But if they released it with all the DLC, I'd be totally fine buying it. And I I would recommend all my friends buy it, too. Yeah, 100%. I guess, like, the DLC isn't, like, a lot. It's, like, it's the costume pack, and then I think there's a few, like, little bonus scenes, and then some, like, grindy little dungeons you can go into, which those definitely helped when I was playing that game. Like, I... I use those, like, a little bit. I don't know if that would be enough, though, for them to be like, oh, well, here's a game with all the DLC included to put out on Switch. But even, like like you said, if they just threw out vanilla TMS onto the Switch, like, that's an instant buy. You know what they could do? Tokyo Mirage Sessions 2. They could do that. But I was thinking they could do, like, Nintendo outfits since they did, like, SMT outfits. They could do Nintendo outfits as DLC. That'd be fun. Sure. Or just like make a, a second or just like a different more packs of DLC costumes in general. Like here's like Atlas pack number two. 
Oh, right, right. I would love... I, uh, I was trying to figure out who would be Akihiko. Why well, I don't... I guess like the Atlas, the Atlas pack that they put out for DLC in that game, in the in in for Tokyo Mirage Sessions, it was all Nintendo based. Yeah. Games that the Atlas has put out, so like Persona Q, Etrian Odyssey, SMT4, and Devil Survivor. So like I don't know what else would be new enough that they could do for that, or and that would be iconic enough. Had Akihiko. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or we just get like a Zen costume for someone. Ooh, Zen. That'd be cool. Interesting. I get, you know, I get, it'd be a cool Zen. Who? Um, Mamori because she has like the big axe and she's got like the weird like suit of armor and he's got like that weird collar. Yeah. Mamori would actually be a really cool Zen. <laughs> Just basically do DLC costumes for like the other characters that don't get them. So you get like uh, Mamori, Ellie, Yasuhiro, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So they like, needed more costumes. Yeah, just just make. I'm, I guess like you know we're not game designers or anything, so I don't know how hard it would be just like make new costumes for that game, per se. If like you're porting it to a new system, but I wouldn't imagine it would be too difficult. But then again, like we don't know. But I think it would be cool. Like if he's like if they re put that game out and it's added some like new costumes and stuff. Like I think that would definitely be. I would feel satisfied with that. I don't know if like other people who haven't played the game would be, but personally like you know as someone who has played the game and loved it like yeah i'd be totally down for that all right but get this all right imagine imagine this uh ellie eleonora mm-hmm. uh her outfit is link sold yes a thousand percent sold i don't care which version of link but she has the bow and arrow and everything anyway so like it's perfect New to Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Breath of the Wild DLC. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> I mean, why not? It'd be perfect. She'd be a great Link. She could cosplay Link. Yeah. Just get, like, all, like, costumes for, like, all of them. Like, get Link, Zelda, the champions. And I guess you'd have to get someone else, because that would be six characters out of seven. Yeah. Cass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Your other main character, Cass. With music, yeah. 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 I'm down for that. I love it. Cass is my homeboy. We're we're pals now. I really like the idea of these characters dressing up as just like random Nintendo characters now. I do too. I love it. It's perfect. Nintendo, you should do this on the Switch now, please. <sighs> they really need to they yeah, they just Please, please, Nintendo. Reggie, my boy, my dude. My pal. My pal. I love Reggie. Reggie, please. <laughs> Tokyo Mirage Sessions is a very good game. You should play it if you haven't. I agree. One of the best games of 2016. The best game of 2016. <laughs> <laughs> like you're, you're trying to like outdo me here. No, I literally said it was the best game in 2016 I last know. year. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. I did. So. There is an interesting tidbit here at the end of this wiki article. Oh. The, the possibility of a sequel was raised at the, we'll just say the TMS Premium Live Concert in May 2015. 
In addition to a rousing call from the audience, produce, producer Hitoshi Yamagami said that he was working on the possibility on the on the possibly on the possibility of a new game. <sighs> Which I think, if memory serves me correctly, like this game sold way better overseas than it did in Japan initially. Correct, it did. Which didn't help that like the Japanese release of this game was December twenty sixth. Oh yeah, no, no. And then it came out in America and overseas and like Europe and everywhere in on June twenty fourth. Yeah. A little bit easier to like get your game out and sell it in summer than the day after Christmas, let's say. <laughs> and I mean that would be a good opportunity for like Japanese markets to to get into this game too because. Even though, um, you know, they had it, this would be on the Switch, and it would potentially be on a day that's not after Christmas. So, you know, you'd have a larger Japanese audience for it, and you'd have more people in the West that are playing it as mm-hmm. well, because more people have a Switch than Wii U, maybe. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, how Japanese sells for the Wii U were. I would, I don't, I would assume they probably weren't as great either, considering... Just that whole thing was kind of not selling great as well, but yeah. Let's let's spitball here for like a, a hot second before we wrap up. If there was a a sequel to this game, how would you do it? Whole new cast. Okay, whole new cast, but they're managed by Itsuki. Yes. All right. All I right. Would, I would still want him in charge of uh, Fortuna Entertainment. Because and... I mean, the end of the game basically sets it up that he takes over. He takes over, yeah. He's the new manager. He found his thing that he's good at. Management. Good boy. And then do you, like, do you shift, like, the other characters into just supporting roles? Like, they help teach the new the new breed? Or do you just use those as cameos? I would say a mixture of both. Okay. Um, I, I feel like if you have all of them, like I can't see Yashihiro being like, "Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> teach all these people." So I think like him showing up every once in a while and be like, "Okay, that's that's cool." Um, but I could see like Subasa being a mentor character. Yeah. Um, but the rest I would see is more like cameos, and Barry can just stay away. I, I, we don't need any more Barry. I feel like um, you could get away with like having Momory being in the party again. You could because she's she, so young. <laughs> Right. If she was like 18 as opposed to 13, then she would just be the adult version of herself, which is it would be super cool to see she's, like how she's grown. And she's just like the veteran of the of like the the party. Right. I would love that. And I mean, you could go into a different Fire Emblem story. Yeah, you could. Um there's 30,000 so- Fire Emblem games like <laughs> you have enough material there. Yeah. Oh man. Now I want this really bad. Because I guess it does kind of muddy it that, like, the end of the game is basically like, oh, all the Fire Emblem characters go off back to their own world. But, I mean, you could basically, just, like, write in something like, oh, another something happened, and here's, like, this new batch of Mirages coming in. These new characters. I mean, it, it's not like it hasn't been done before. Like, you could have the main character have Lucina? Lucina? Mm-hmm. However, Lucina. You, however you pronounce her name. Like, obviously, she's, like, the other big popular character from Awakening. Yeah. And probably just in general in terms of Fire Emblem characters, I would assume. Yeah. Lucina is one of the most popular. So there you go. Like, there's your, your main character's Mirage. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be and, so cool. And then you just sprinkle in, like, other characters from other Fire Emblem games. Like, 
I don't know, let's take a look at Fire Emblem games and see which one that has that's kind of been, you know, missing from the the lore of Fire Emblem lately. Because they just did Gaiden, so, like, they can't do that one. What about the one that was on the GameCube? I don't know which one the GameCube one was. Uh, for some reason, I'm thinking it has something to do with Radiance. Path of Radiance? Yes. Who is the main character in this? It's probably Marth. Oh, Ike. Yeah, there we go, Ike. Sure. Sure. See, it works perfect. I'm there's, a genius. There's literally 30,000 Fire Emblem games, so of course. <laughs> yeah, but Ike is actually somewhat well-known. Oh, yeah, because um, he's in, in Smash. Smash. Yeah, I mean, you could do Roy, too. Roy! Which one's Roy in? I don't remember. Our boy Roy. Our boy Roy! Boy Roy. We're not even talking about that Roy at this point, guys. He's not even the Wii one. He's not in the Wii one. What about this one? Why didn't you just Google Roy Fire Emblem? Because I like to make things hard on myself. <laughs> yeah, you do. Nope, not in that one. Did he come out in one that came out over here? Uh, potentially not. I don't. I don't remember. Where's Where's the search button? Here we go. Roy. <laughs> got it. I got it. There's Roy. He is the protagonist of Fire Emblem: The Binding Blade, which is. Japanese only. A GBA game. Yep. Which, I guess the first one did get re-released over here, so. So, okay, there you go. Make the GameCube game. Re just redo the story of the GameCube game. Uh, add in Lucina and, like, I don't know, someone else that's popular. Maybe one, maybe a character from, like, the... The new one. The, the threequel. The three series that came the out three. last year. The three games. That's what I yeah. mean. Yeah. So I had one of those characters, and then just the rest of them are characters from that GameCube game. And you got yourselves a sequel there. Perfect. Have Mamori as like a, a veteran. Have its Itsuki running the like the the place. Have some cameos. Perfect. I love it. Uh, Intelligence Systems Atlas. You can call us for more information. Mm-hmm. We got this we down got pat ideas. for you guys. We got. We are good to go. Mm-hmm. Ready. We're ready for this. Moral of the story: Buy Tokyo Mirage Sessions, or just play it. Play it. Buy it. If, if you have, if you have a Wii U and you haven't played it yet, if not, hopefully they re-release it sometime so you can play it and enjoy it because it's one heck of a video game. It's legitimately so so good, and it's made a really lasting impact on me. I, I think about it quite often, and I talk about it quite often, as you guys know from listening to the podcast. Like Tokyo Mirage Sessions is a wonderful game. I think that's a good final word to end on. Is it? Yeah. Good game, guys. GG. GG. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode. For more information, check out seasonalimagecheckup.com or scc.cool where you can go look up my Tokyo Mirage Sessions review. Because it's up there. It is. And you can read the blurb about it in the Game of the Year post as well if you want to go find that as well. I think they're both under seasonalimagecheckup.com slash video games. Makes sense. Yeah. And you can check out past episodes of this very show as well. They're all very good. You should listen to them all back to back to back. Marathon run. <laughs> uh, for, for more information from Anladium, go to anladium.com. I 
you have a Tokyo Mirage Sessions review on your site? It's on the Game of the Year. Um, if you okay. go into the review section uh, and scroll down to Game of the Year, uh, Games of the Year 2016, <laughs> it's in there. There's also some other cool stuff in that section if you want to check out my reviews of stuff. Yeah, so you'll be able to find out why Al over here thought that was the best game of 2016. Almost at 2017 accidentally. Because it was. <laughs> Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Anime Checkup. It's a good place to talk to both of us and just, you know, hang out and meme with us. Yeah, uh, I like our, our meme people. They're good. Um, also, I'm sure that we've said some controversial things on this episode. So if you do have something to say, please say it to both of us on the Twitter. Yes, do that. And then also the fighting game tournament will will be wrapping up this very Thursday on twitter.com slash anime checkup so you'll be able to find out you know who's the best out of anime and video games and manga i know i don't but you'll know soon enough yay this thursday wait this thursday is in like not this thursday not this thursday is the day we're recording okay but when this goes up saturday that thursday so basically next thursday for us so the 6th yes july July 6th there (laughs) you go put a date there there you go uh yeah, and then and then next week we'll talk about something okay we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to figure out what we're gonna record because <laughs> you know what tuesday is when we usually record well maybe we'll record during the day when people aren't doing anything yeah that's true yeah because i won't have to work uh so yeah I, I guess in that case uh enjoy yourselves be safe don't blow yourself up and you know have a good time uh, celebrating America, not America, but a birthday. <gasps> Moa Metal's birthday. She's gonna be eighteen, guys. Yeah, I'm the so one thing you should be celebrating. Well, since we've been talking about idols. Yeah. No, I like love- I'm being serious. That's the one thing no, you should be celebrating that day. You should. I love baby metal, and I love my idol girls, and I just want to hug them and protect them and make sure they're well fed and sleeping. And Moa is gonna be eighteen, and I love these girls so so much. So. Not only are you celebrating America, but you should more importantly be celebrating Moa Metal. The K pop, J pop mom strikes again. Sorry, whoops. <laughs> no, that's fine. So, yeah, enjoy yourselves, be safe, and uh, we will see you next week for more fun conversations. <laughs>